Hi, this is Casey Pearson with Close to the Bones, and um, today I'm just going to be talking about one of the hard things that we don't talk about enough. Um, I'm lying here in bed holding my five-year-old son while he sleeps. Um, My two daughters are sleeping in their rooms and sometimes I wonder how I got this lucky to get to this point because for years this wasn't on my radar at all. My oldest will be 13 this year. My middle daughter just turned seven and my baby will be five in about three weeks. And that massive age gap between my oldest and my middle was not planned. That is not what I wanted. It happened the way that it happened. There's no changing it. And my middle daughter would not be here. And neither would my son if um, any of those things hadn't happened. So um, today I just want I just want to talk about one of them. Um, this is not going to be an easy podcast. Um, I'm gonna put a warning on here for uh, pregnancy loss. Um, traumatic ER experience, um, infant death, I guess, not really sure it could be called infant death, but pretty much any of those sad things is what this is going to be about, so this is not something that you are prepared to listen to, that's okay. If it's something that you don't ever want to listen to, that's also okay. I just want to let you guys know what's going on before I get into it. Um, so, when my oldest daughter was 10 months old, we lost our first pregnancy. Um, closest I can figure, I was five or six weeks pregnant, and... Shortly after she turned one, we decided to start trying for another baby. Uh, It took three months to get pregnant with her, which now in the grand scheme is nothing. But I thought that I had a baby. My body knows how to do this. So having another baby shouldn't be that hard, right? Like, everyone has more babies. I live in Utah and... Everyone has more babies. So I never thought I would be one of those people that didn't. That struggled with secondary infertility. That struggled with repeat pregnancy loss. That didn't know if they were going to be able to have another kid. Growing up, I had always wanted three I don't know why that number just felt good. 
and my husband agreed when when we were engaged talked about how many kids we'd each we'd have and we both liked the number three like just it was there and I wanted to believe in my gut that that would happen uh but considering everything else it was kind of hard to keep on to that faith after a certain time um so we started trying when my daughter was one um lost the pregnancy before that uh when she was about 18 months old we lost another one um a year after the first loss we lost a third um and the next month, another positive, positive pregnancy test, and I was terrified. We'd lost three in a row. I was now considered a more high risk for miscarriage. Like one miscarriage happens, two miscarriages they can they can also happen. But after you've had three in a row, they like to test you for things and see why your body can't keep a pregnancy uh, I didn't have insurance so it was kind of not really a thing that could be done plus I wanted to do it on my own I didn't want all the medications and the doctors and everything else and a lot of that I'm now looking back having dealt with so many things that was a big part of my trauma from my first my first uh, birth and admitting defeat with the infertility would have just been another nail in that coffin of failure and brokenness. I couldn't birth my first baby, so why not just keep losing the next ones? And it was a really dark bit of time for me. Um, during all of this, I was apprenticing with... A local midwife and she was pregnant um, and uh, when I got that pre positive pregnancy test my fifth positive pregnancy test it's crazy to think of it that way um, I was terrified um, we told everyone I never could keep a secret like that for myself but I also needed people to know um, what was going on I needed their excitement I needed someone to be excited because I was just trying not to be terrified I couldn't be excited I couldn't hope even though you say you can't hope but hope is just something that happens either way so I needed everyone else to know. Um, and at five weeks, I started bleeding, which is apparently is what my uterus does anymore. Um, I started bleeding at five weeks. I went to the nurse midwife that I had with my daughter. Um, yeah, I went to the nurse midwife I'm trying to remember all these things in my head. Um, I went to her and she did a pelvic exam 
with a speculum and saw that it was old blood coming out of the cervix and she's and she's just said well this many percent of pregnancies bleed probably normal most of them don't lose the baby we don't know about you uh with your history and it scared me even more and uh she gave me a prescription for progesterone um because that was low. I don't remember the number now. It's been a long time. Um, but my progesterone was low, so she gave me these giant blue horse pills, or that's what the prescription ended up being. These giant, they weren't blue, they were purple. These giant purple pills that I had to take, and it, they exhausted me. Like, pregnancy was already exhausting, but that put a whole other level on this. Um, she then told me that because I had had a primary cesarean and I'd never had a vaginal birth, she wasn't allowed to help me with my pregnancy regardless of what happened. So I would have to see an OB because I didn't have a proven pelvis and she could not be the midwife. And that was that was fine. That was something that happened. It wasn't a big deal. I didn't know how I was going to do things. I, I wanted my baby to be born at home, so I wasn't going to be seeing her anyway. Um, and I transferred to a family practice uh, here in town because I didn't want to see an OB. I still wanted to be I guess I still wanted to be considered low risk <laughs> and that was back when I was almost a vigilante <laughs> or this tyrant of information gathered and all these thoughts in my brain and I did not have tact and not that I have tact now but uh, it was very different back then so I went to a family practice and um, they ran my labs again, and the progesterone pills were working. I was on 400 milligrams a day. Uh, these four of these giant pills that made me so sick and made me so tired that I could not even function. But I was still bleeding. So they wanted to do some more testing and stuff, but didn't get around to it. At six weeks, just a couple days after six weeks, I completely bled through my pants and was sure that I was losing the baby because that was so much blood and so I went to the ER because I didn't know what else to do no one tells you what to do if you start bleeding in pregnancy um, there's not really much that they can do but no one tells you what to do so I went to the ER and um, I already had pretty bad hyperemesis this pregnancy. Like, I struggled keeping food down. I couldn't take my vitamins. Um, I was dehydrated. I hardly could eat. Um, I definitely couldn't drink anything. Uh, it was, it was rough, so they gave me fluids, and that helped, but the bleeding was still happening. They didn't do a pelvic exam, uh, but they sent me for an ultrasound. And I saw my baby, and oh my goodness, there was a baby, like 
with a heartbeat and like you could see it he looked like this cute little gummy bear and I called him my gummy bear but it was just so surreal to me that there was a baby in there and my bleeding hadn't made it go away and so took the picture and I went home and it made me feel better and met with my doctor and they put me on bed rest and had my three-year-old that was busy and didn't sleep and everything else and so dealing with that on top of being exhausted and sick and apparently a high-risk pregnancy even though I don't think I was but I bled from five weeks uh, for the next nine weeks um, I was in and out of the ER gosh it felt like every day but it was probably weekly because I would gush blood um, it would happen out of nowhere and I wouldn't have cramps I wouldn't have anything it was just massive amounts of blood pooling out of me even if I wasn't doing anything and if I was doing things then it didn't matter like there was no rhyme or reason to this but it was just bright red frank bleeding pooling out of me I would fill a heavy pad like heavy thick overnight pad in 10 minutes and then it would just start leaking everywhere and so I'd go to the ER I needed I needed that I don't know if it helped or not most of the time they just gave me fluids and sent me home but it was I felt like I lived there um at um I was still on the progesterone um they talked about weaning me off at 13 14 weeks um I was still seeing this family practice doctor uh he was very nice um no one ever talked to me about like how the birth would go but I think no one was prepared for me to carry this baby anyway so it was all you know it's all what it was um but at 12 weeks um I had so much more of that bleeding so he ordered an ultrasound in radiology to see if maybe they could find the source of the bleeding see if there was something going on um they were gonna get they were getting worried that I was gonna get anemic and everything else was gonna happen because of how much blood I was losing all the time along with being pregnant so I went um to radiology I was 12 weeks and five days I um, went to radiology and was my wonderful cousin that did the ultrasound and my husband was there and my daughter was there and um, I sat on the table, the exam table or ultrasound table or whatever it is. I sat down and then all of a sudden I felt the blood gushing out of me and I didn't bring anything else to wear. I didn't bring more heavy pads. I didn't bring anything. And I asked uh, my cousin, I was like, oh, can I go to the bathroom real quick? And I st stood up and blood is dripping down my legs and there's pool of blood on the table. And I could just see in her eyes that she's thinking, oh my gosh, there's no way there's a baby in there still. So I went to the bathroom and got cleaned up. She got me a pad and my husband went home to get me some new pants. Um, and when he got back, she did the ultrasound. She's like, okay. That was a lot of blood, and I'm hoping that we find something, but be prepared if we don't, and 
you know, it just happens. Um, so she put the probe on my belly and instantly there's my baby kicking and moving, heart beating, nothing wrong. She was shocked that there was still a baby um, growing in my uterus with all the blood that I was losing. And so she did her measurements and scans and everything else. She found like a tiny pocket that could be a subchorionic hemorrhage, um, like a hemorrhage where the baby implants. So it was just free flowing blood. Um, but she could not figure out why it was so much blood because it didn't like make sense. Like it shouldn't be this much blood all the time from what it was looking like. But, um, we got to take all those pictures home and it was really nice and I felt better about things. Um, right after that, we had my um, daughter's third birthday party and, you know, took it as easy as I could and thought everything was fine, you know, taking my pills, doing my stuff. We got home and uh, a couple days later, uh, my labor started. I, um, um, if I pause, <laughs> it's not cause I'm not here. Um, I just want you guys to know it's just hard to talk about sometimes so it takes me a minute to get through this um I was 13 weeks four days and I started having contractions that lasted a minute and a half and were three minutes apart and I could feel them um I normally contract and they're I have like Braxton Hicks kind of things from the beginning of pregnancy um but these were different these felt different so my husband was at work um, I called my best friend and asked if her or her husband could watch my daughter. One of them could come to the ER with me because this is not normal. What I was experiencing is not normal. And so my daughter stayed with um, her husband and she came with me. Um, I got another ultrasound. Everything looked fine. I got two liters of fluids. I got Zofran. Um, they did a couple tests. They did a CBC to see if maybe I had an infection, like a bladder infection or something. Um, they ended up not finding anything and, uh, the ER doesn't really keep pregnant people. So they sent me home about four hours later. Uh, the contractions had slowed a little bit, but when I laid down in bed that night, it was like I'd swallowed a softball. I was just sitting on one side of my belly button, like a little bit down, but it was just sitting there, like all everything else was around it, but it, you could just see what this was, and it felt hard as a rock, and I had no idea what it was, but they said my baby was fine, and I felt fine, and the bleeding had stopped, and things like that, so I was like, okay, this will be fine. I went to sleep, and I woke up the next morning in so much pain. I am not a morning person. Um... If I could stay in bed until like 9.30 in the morning, that's that's a good day for me. Um, I woke up at around 6.30 and couldn't go back to sleep because the contractions were so intense. My husband was there and my daughter and um, I went to the bathroom and I peed and three clots about the size of golf balls fell out of me and I started to panic and I woke my husband up and we got everyone dressed and... Um, I was contracting heavily at this point. They hurt. It was like 
I felt like I couldn't move. It was just so much everything in my body happening. And so I couldn't do anything. Um, he got my daughter, our daughter in the car and he came up to get me and I was laying on the floor because I just could not move. It, it hurt to move. It hurt to do anything. And laying on my side, like fetal position was the only thing that felt good, but he got me down to the car. We drove to the hospital. Um, I got checked in. Um, he was with my daughter who they, this is very beginning of August and they wouldn't allow her in, which was frustrating. Um, but eventually, um, once they got me hooked up to an IV and gave me Zofran and morphine, um, they let her come in and I held her while she fell asleep and felt uh, my baby kick her a few times. So that made me feel a little bit better, but, um, I couldn't really feel the contractions anymore. Uh, so I was like, oh, maybe, maybe they figured it out. Maybe it's not a big deal. Um, um, a few hours later, um, still there, we were waiting on an ultrasound. Uh, they didn't want to do a pelvic exam unless it was an actual obstetrician doing it. And my family practice doctor didn't have no re he didn't have a reason to come down and see anything. So we were just waiting. Um, my husband had to go to work, so he took our daughter to my best friend's husband's house to husband, and she came to be with me. Um, during all of this, I let my preceptor, the midwife I was working with, know what was going on. So she drove up to also be with me. Um, when I was alone, um, I felt like I needed to pee. They'd been hydrating me and everything else and went pee and came back to the bed and all of a sudden it's just wet everywhere. And I call the nurse in cause I'm panicking and I'm alone and everything is wet and I can't see and I'm hooked up to all of these other things. And, um, she lifts the blanket that's under there and her eyes go wide and then she just leaves, doesn't do anything, doesn't say anything. And my best friend came in, um, to the room and I told her what I was feeling, but I didn't know what was happening. And she lifted up the blanket and there was blood everywhere. Um, I had filled the chucks pad that was underneath me. Um, the blanket was <laughs> covered in blood. Uh, the bed had blood, the sheets had blood, everything had blood, but I couldn't move. I was, I was frozen and apparently it was not a big deal to anyone else in the hospital. So my best friend cleaned me up. She got me new Chuck's pads. Um, she, um, got me comfortable. She made me feel like I mattered that I wasn't an inconvenience, and um, that was amazing. Um, once she finished cleaning me up, I realized that it was probably my water that had broken. Uh, like, it's just one of those gut feelings, you know? Like, there's no way that I, like, it was just blood that much. I, I knew that it wasn't, and... I knew I was in labor, but I didn't want to admit it to anyone but myself. Because if I admitted it to anyone but myself, it meant my baby was going to die. And 
I couldn't have that. It had been two years of trying to get pregnant. It had been three losses. I was I was 13 weeks and five days pregnant. Like, I should stay pregnant. I was pregnant longer than I'd been for any everything except my daughter. I was... I was I was doing this and I couldn't lose the baby now. I I couldn't. That couldn't happen. But um they finally got the ultrasound tech in and it ended up being my cousin again. And she didn't show me the monitor this time. I didn't get any pictures. Um she said that my baby's heart rate had slowed. It was going between 100 and 120, and he was normally in the 150s, um, and that he was really low. It looked like he was in my cervix, um, and she said that she was sorry, and she hoped that it was just something else and everything would be fine, and she gave me a hug, and she left, but when she said that, I knew, um... I told my preceptor about it, and she says, oh, no, that that could be normal. You're bleeding. It's, it's normal. That could be normal. I knew they were trying to make me feel better, but I think everybody had the same thing going through their head. Um, and <laughs> to be honest, that whole day, the only people that were nice to me, that treated me like this situation... was heartbreaking that I was okay to have feelings that I wasn't a burden was my cousin um, my best friend and my preceptor that was that was it those were the only people in this whole day and I had already seen four different nurses um, two ER doctors until this point and they were waiting on the consult from OB. Um, but it was dehumanizing. Having people walk in the room, not ask me if they could touch me, not ask me if they could look at what was happening in my vagina. Everything. They didn't. They didn't listen to the things that I said. They didn't. They didn't care, and they kept trying to discharge me. Um, I got to the hospital that morning a little after 7 a.m., and by the time my best friend got there at 2 or so, they had already tried to discharge me four times. And it was it was frustrating. <laughs> um, but a- anyway, um, after... My cousin left. Uh, my best friend and I talked for a while, which was nice. Um, we joked and things like that. And then my preceptor got there. So the three of us talked and everything for a while. And then the ER nurse came in and told me I could only have one person in the room with me when the OB was there. Which was... Oh God, I cannot believe that that was even an, a, a thing. I was bleeding all over the bed. Things were not looking good, but I, I had to figure out which person I wanted with me more when when I was going to be 
touched. I, I don't know. It's, it's too much to think about. And so I looked at my best friend and I looked at my preceptor and they looked at each other. And I remember thinking and saying that I would like someone there that could advocate for me, that knew the things that they were going to be doing, that knew the research, that knew all these things. And so my preceptor stayed with me and my best friend left the ER. She went to the waiting room to call her husband and I'm not sure what else she did that day. Um, so my preceptor and I talked for a little bit and then the OB came in. He introduced himself um, and before he even did anything, he gave me three choices. He said that I could go home and wait and see what would happen, but he was pretty sure I was just going to have my baby on my floor. Um, he could, he could do an exam to see what was going on, um, vaginally, if my cervix was open, what was going on, it would be with a speculum, um, and he would do that here, and then we could make a decision, or I could be transferred to labor and delivery right then, either for a DNC or Cytotec, and... Cytotec had always freaked me out because it's one of those meds that killed VBAC moms. Um, it overextended things and caused ruptures and babies and moms died and I did not want that. I did not want Cytotec, but I also was so tired. Um, but I looked at my preceptor and... Um, she held my hand and I told him that I wanted an exam to see where things were and then I would figure it out. Um, and he said, okay. So he um, did not have a good bedside manner. <laughs> like he was very, very clinical. He was very cold. Uh, so didn't really think much of it. You know, I was already in a crappy place so what more did it matter um my uh, preceptor stayed with me um he got everything ready and then he started doing the exam and um right after he inserted the speculum he says I'm sorry but your baby's been sitting in your vagina and my world broke apart how how did this happen how how was i pregnant one second and then now i'm not am i am i considered not to be pregnant now i i couldn't couldn't breathe i i just cried silently tears streaming down. I was getting the paper on the table all wet. <laughs> like, I remember the feeling of that crappy paper that is on those exam tables just getting soaked with my tears and there was nothing I could do about it. And he was working with things and everything else. And then he looked at the nurse and he said, can you get me that gauze tray for the specimen? <laughs> the specimen my baby that he pulled out that he cut the cord um that died when he cut the cord my baby was still alive when all of this was happening um until that cord 
was cut, and I don't know if he died instantly. I don't know if he was alive for a little while. I don't, I don't know, because he placed my baby in a gauze tray, kept calling it the specimen, and then I felt his hand enter my vagina and my uterus and pull the placenta off the wall of my uterus and he put it that in another tray he made sure everything else was fine and then he said that the products of conception were in a tray I could look at them if I wanted but they could take them and I wouldn't have to worry about it and on his way out he put his hand on my shoulder and he said I'm sorry while looking at the wall and then he left and I never saw him again after that um um, the nurse cleaned everything up. Uh, my preceptor told her not to take anything. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, she went and looked at the placenta and she told me it just, it did not look good. Um, even with how it was taken off, it looked torn and broken and it was not a placenta made to grow a baby. And so I thought I had my answer at that point. What happened? Everything like that. Um, um, my best friend came back in. And um, they asked me if I wanted to see my baby. Because I didn't want to. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I wanted to. I didn't. I, I just couldn't. Um they asked me and they said it's okay to take your time but it's also okay to look at your baby so they um, brought that gauze tray over and I looked down at this perfect baby um, he was beautiful he had fingers and toes. And he had the fontanelles on his head. And he had this beautiful little cord and his penis. And he had everything. But he wasn't part of me anymore. And it broke me even more than I already was. Um, I sent a picture of him to my husband. Um, and the nurse came back to came back in, and asked when, and told me I was going to be discharged soon, um, and offered to take everything to pathology. Um, and that's when my preceptor told me that if that I could, I had the option of taking my baby home. That I didn't need to turn him into pathology that I could bring him with me um, and have a ceremony or whatever else I wanted to do. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I told the nurse that she could take the placenta. Um, that could be tested. Maybe there was something in it that I didn't know. Um, but I told her she could do that. But I wanted to take my baby home. So she brought in a piece of paper that I had to sign. Um, saying that I was bringing home the products of conception 
and I knew that there was a risk of infection if I did that or contamination is a blood product all of the horrifying things that they make you sign off when you take your own body part I guess with you so I signed that and they put him in this giant red biohazard bag they put him in a container and then they put him in this giant bag and I remember this bag it was just again it was just dehumanizing um, before they discharged me I asked if I could um, have a sleeping pill for that night because I knew without it I wasn't going to be able to sleep um, it took about another hour for them to do all that um, to get me a prescription um, they wanted me on pills for a couple days to make sure I got rid of everything in my uterus um, methogen and then the sleeping pill um, but they, the hospital wouldn't fill it so I had to find a pharmacy um, I wasn't discharged from the hospital until 8.30 and I live in a town that is fairly tiny and Walmart was the only pharmacy still open um, and we had like 20 minutes to get there get the prescription before they closed so I had my best friend take me there um, I got the prescriptions and then I went home and my husband was there um, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I went to bed and I laid awake until around midnight when I finally took the sleeping pill cause I, I needed, I needed to not feel anything. So I took the pill and I went to sleep and woke up at eight the next morning and it was awful uh, waking up the day after your baby died waking up the morning after knowing that you're not pregnant anymore that you would never really feel your baby do those twists and rolls that you wouldn't birth your baby in this dream birth that you imagined that you saw your baby in a sterile God's container and you were too scared to touch him but you wanted to and then in addition to that waking up the next morning wondering what you did to cause this it, it was heavy and it was awful um but the biggest takeaway from all of this was the memory of how I was treated. That right before the OB actually came in, I, I forgot to mention this part, um, they tried to discharge me. Um, I got up to go to the bathroom and three clots the size of my entire hand fell into the toilet. I told the nurse and she rolled her eyes and kept putting the discharge stuff through. Um, 
and then that's uh actually that's when my water broke right after that so blood everywhere and they didn't care they didn't want me there they wanted the room free they didn't think to send me to labor and delivery because I was only 13 weeks they did nothing they did their labs they did their tests they did everything but no one actually looked at me no one looked me in the eyes no one no one was there the only person that said that they were sorry was the OB and that was the only thing he said that entire time that actually maybe meant something even though he was so distant from everything it was a clinical thing and I I sometimes wonder if it would have been a different experience if the hospital staff had treated me like I was a person in labor with a very wanted baby that didn't want that baby to be born I, I wonder what it would have been like if my best friend hadn't had to be the one to clean up the blood off of me. I wonder what would have happened if I had been allowed to have people in there with me while he was pulling my baby out of me. I I wonder what would have happened if they just tried for one second to remind me that this was a horrible situation but that I wasn't alone it was it was traumatic and I wished that I had stayed home I wish that I hadn't gone to the hospital I wished that I hadn't tried to save him even though there was nothing I could have done but I wish I hadn't done it because then he would have at least been born at home and I would have held him and he would have been born into love instead of distance I, I wonder I wonder if it would have been better and I know that I'll never really know I'll know that there are things that we can never know and yet it just makes me sad that one of the worst experiences of my life was treated like just another day and just another person that needed to be sent home because they didn't need to be there. I had nightmares for a long time about the faces of the people that were in the room. I could not even see a picture of the OB without going into a panic and being so angry. I, I couldn't do any of it. I couldn't go to the ER. I couldn't do any of these things just because 
it was so awful what had happened. And I thought that that was just the grief that it was just because my baby died, that it was just because of all these other things. But in the end, it wasn't any of that. It wasn't the fact that my baby died. It wasn't the fact that it was one of the hardest days of my life. It wasn't any of that. It was the fact that I was not treated like a person. That I was not treated like a person that was there for help. That I was just treated like a burden. And that memory stuck with me. That I was a burden. That I was an annoyance that I was someone to be sent home because I was just too much work. And ever since, um, there's been a lot of things that have happened in my life since then. Um, and one of the things that I've always tried to do is to make sure no one ever felt that way when they were birthing their baby or having a rough day or having a pregnancy loss or any of those things. I wanted, I never want someone to feel like they are a burden because they are having one of the worst days of their life. And I have been very lucky, if lucky is the right word, I'm, I'm not sure, but I've been I'm very grateful that people have let me be in their space and I've worked with many lost families on their worst day of their life and they don't remember me. I don't want them to remember me. I want them to remember that they mattered and the ones that I've talked to since, that's one of the big things that they say is that they felt like they weren't alone for a little while and if that is a gift that I can give other people, if that is something that I can give to someone that wouldn't have that otherwise, then I'll do it. I will be that person for them. I will make sure that they aren't completely broken when they leave. They're always going to be broken. Part of their soul died. But they don't have to be so broken that they can't find themselves they can't function they don't need the added trauma on top of everything else and my son's birth taught me that and there's a lot more to his story than just this but I am grateful to him for giving me that lesson I wish he was here. He um, probably would give me a run for my money more than any of my other kids, but I wish that he could be here to play with them, that I could see the color of his eyes and the color of his hair and everything else, and I, I wish things were different, but in the end, I... I'm grateful for the lessons that he gave me in the short amount of time he was with me. 
I found out I was pregnant just before four weeks. I think I was like three weeks and five days or something. And he was born at 13 weeks and five days. And those 10 weeks changed my life forever. They changed me in ways that I'm still trying to process. And it's been a decade, which is a whole other level of insanity that it's been that long. But, um, yeah. And just in closing, I just want to say that if you are going through this, if you have had situations like that, there are places you can go to for support. Um, if you're local to me, Share Families of Southern Utah or St. George Share. They are amazing. They're an amazing group of people that um, support others uh, before, during, and after their losses. Um, if you're not local, you've got Still Birthday. Heidi Faith has created an incredible resource there. Um, Grief Out Loud. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many. And there's even more now than what there was a decade ago. So you are not alone. And even if even if you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. There are so many people out there that have been through days that were the worst in their life as well. There are so many people out there that have also held their dead babies. There are so many people out there that are walking a similar path to you and you're not alone. Um, so just in the end of this, if you do need someone um, to reach out to, you can reach out to me. My email is moontreemidwifery at gmail.com. My website is moontreemidwifery.com. Um, and I can send you resources. Um, there are a lot of them. And I would rather spend a whole day sending resources to someone than have someone feel like they are alone. So please, please don't hesitate to reach out here. Um, and then as for those of you that actually made it through this, thank you. Um, saying these stories out loud, it doesn't take away the pain, but it helps Especially when you know that there's someone out there that's going to listen. So thank you for hearing this and holding this and being a safe space for me to talk about this with. Um, and if there's anything that any of you guys would like me to talk about on this podcast, let me know. Um, you can reach out to me on my site or an email address, like I said earlier, but... Um, thank you so much for listening and holding this space for me. Uh, thank you. <laughs>